0: You are listening to As A Woman, episode 105, Single Mother by Choice with Katie B. In this episode, I'm talking all about the decision to become a single mom by choice and how I love this group.
1: Welcome to As A Woman, the podcast hosted by fertility physician, Dr. Natalie Crawford, to educate and empower women. Each week, learn about your health, your fertility, and how they relate to your true self. Become a part of the community, fostering collaboration over competition while learning how to authentically
0: find your voice and amplify others as a woman. Hey friends, welcome back to the podcast. This episode may be one of the top requested episodes, and I'm so honored to have Katie Bryan on the podcast today. I have known Katie for quite a while. She is a single mom by choice who went through a really interesting and complicated fertility journey trying to figure out what was best for her. And she came to sit in front of me one time and I asked her, what is your goal? What are you trying to do? And she took that into this amazing journey. And also she now hosts the Single Greatest Choice podcast and she is a coach and an advocate for single women who are worried about their biological clock or considering whether solo motherhood is the right path for them. This is a passion project for Katie, all trying to help educate and empower women earlier in their journeys. Single women can find support, empowerment, information, and inspiration around their fertility, and Katie hopes that all the stories she shares helps give other women courage. I'm so honored to have her on the podcast today, and I think you're really going to love her story. Katie, thank you so much for coming on the As A Woman podcast to share your story. Single mom by choice, this topic has been so highly requested. And so I'm thrilled to have you here.
1: Thank you so much. I'm so honored to be the single mother by choice that you're talking to.
0: So you became, you know, one of my most memorable patients. And I always tell people this, it is not necessary necessarily a good thing. If you're memorable, it means your journey hasn't been easy. Because if you have a very easy journey, I don't actually get to know you very well. But it's when something hasn't quite gone as smooth as possible, that we get to develop this really close relationship. So it's always a, it's bad for you. But in the end, it's good for me, because we really get to know each other through it. And I want to just start at the beginning for everybody who doesn't know, and I'm sure a lot of people will catch back up on your story through your own podcast. But when did you decide I'm ready to do this on my own? Because I don't think that is a decision that most women see coming.
1: Right. And I don't think I saw it coming either. I can't really pinpoint a decision point for myself. I think it kind of happened gradually. So when I first started looking into fertility issues and infertility preservation, I was in no way thinking single mother by choice. In fact, I, for the first time in a long time, felt really hopeful that that was not something that I was even going to need to consider because I was in a brand new relationship. So I I was 36 at the time, almost 37, had just met someone. It felt very different and very much like this could be the person. But I wanted to make sure that I could give it the time that it needed to develop and that there wasn't a lot of pressure on the relationship. And so because I was almost 37, I thought this would be a good time to look into freezing eggs. And I really had been thinking about that for years. I don't know what it was that finally kind of pushed it over the edge. But but I was in a relationship. I went in to freeze my eggs just thinking this will buy some time for this relationship and then things like one thing led to another and we can kind of get into what happened next but um i i was already actively pursuing fertility preservation and different you know fertility treatments prior to deciding to be a single mother by choice if that makes sense
0: no i love that because it shows that what your goal is at one moment it's okay to change it as you get to know yourself more and you start thinking about what your life is going to look like and as you learn more you're able to piece together, what do you really want? And sometimes that question, you and I've talked about this a lot. Sometimes that question isn't directly asked at us. What is your goal? What do you want? What are you really trying to achieve? And for those type ones, like you and I are, we do really well with goals. So sometimes just We check boxes to check boxes without thinking about what happens if path A happens or path B.
1: Right. And freezing eggs was something that allowed multiple paths to feel safe. So it allowed me to be in this relationship, give it some time to develop and also not be afraid to walk away if it wasn't the right relationship because I had set aside those eggs. But it also meant that the relationship could take several years to develop And when when we were ready within the context of the relationship to have a child, those eggs would also be there for me. So it just kind of covered multiple bases. So that was my goal walking through the door of the fertility clinic for the first time. And then from there, that process just was not what I expected it to be. And I was told kind of upfront the expectation for the number of eggs that I might be able to get that was kind of average for my age, I was thinking around 15 eggs or so, and and then uh, when you tell them, I don't even know if that's average for my age, but I think, yeah, I think that's it works, kind yeah. of like, okay. Yeah. okay. Um, and so that was just based on like the hormone levels and the number of follicles that they were seeing and those types of things. And this was just to clarify for your listeners, not with you, this was um, at, with a different doctor, different practice. And that's not, that was not what we ended up get, getting from that first retrieval. So my, I had follicles, but they just weren't simple stimulating simultaneously. And so we were having a really hard time. We actually stopped and started a couple of times, but trying to get the number of eggs that in my mind would create that sense of security that I went in seeking. And so that process really, really stressed me out in a way that I thought I was doing this thing that was going to bring peace. And instead it just escalated my panic about fertility in general.
0: I've heard people say this before. and I think this is a good point to address. You walked in the doors, oh, I'm not a fertility patient. I'm just here being proactive. I'm doing this thing for me so that I can preserve my fertility and have all these doors open. Yay for me. You get kind of average remarks. Average is good, right? Okay, nothing to be worried about. I'm going to go along the process. And then suddenly cycles are canceled and the number you get is lower and you it completely hits you because you're un, it's unexpected, right? Suddenly now you're thrown into this well, maybe you're going to have problems. Maybe there's an issue here. Right. This kind of thing you thought you were preserving, do you even have it at all? And that has to be emotionally very taxing because you're not prepared for it, right?
1: It really was. And I didn't have enough information about what those seven eggs could potentially mean. And I understand that no one could tell me exactly what my particular cohort of seven eggs meant, but... Now I understand that the quality of the egg matters so much more than the number of eggs that I had frozen. And until I was ready to fertilize them, there was no way to know what the quality was. But I basically had the impression that I had gone through this whole cycle and thousands of dollars, and it was pretty much worthless, that those eggs would never really be worth much to me, and that kind of this whole project of, you know, project fertility preservation had failed. <laughs> it's that, that's kind of how I felt
0: at that yeah, point. Yeah, you actually, I remember you saying that once to me that, oh, that was worthless because you only got seven. Now, mm-hmm. this is one, a very type one thing, right? Because you and I, well, 15 was the goal. I only got seven. So failure, like red flag, right? Alarm, right? right. Versus, <laughs> you know, and I try to frame this to people and I say seven is, you had nothing. You have no eggs frozen and now you have seven. Like that is still something. Right. Yet we don't know what will come from them but that's way more than what you started with. Right. And and now I know women who are
1: overjoyed at, you know, far fewer, you know, three eggs is is a celebration or, you know, and I know women who get many, many more eggs and don't get the type of result that they're looking at. So it really, I mean, there's just so many things that I didn't know at that time. And I, I just didn't know where to turn to really understand what, what any of that meant. So I was left feeling just kind of unmoored and, and emotional and, afraid. And that was the first point in my life where I really, I think prior to that experience, if you'd asked me point blank, you're 36 years old, you can either have a man or a baby. You may not get both. Like, what's your priority? I think I totally would have said, man, like I want a partner. I want a relationship. I'm willing to wait for that. If the kid thing doesn't happen, that will be sad, but I'd be okay. And this was the first time where I felt like I may like time really may be running out, not just hypothetically, but like realistically for my body, this, this might be running out. And I was still in that relationship. It was still relatively new. And to be honest, I don't think that that was the right fit for me. I I think we would have eventually broken up, but I do think that the pressure of all of the fertility stuff led to that happening much faster than maybe it would have, which, you know, blessing in disguise. I'm glad that we didn't waste each other's time for, you know, much longer, but. Right. But
0: (laughs) ironic, right? Because the entire point of doing fertility preservation was to take pressure off said relationship. And then it, what really happened is it threw this in your face, that time is your most valuable resource, that having kids is not a guarantee. And maybe you need to direct attention onto that, which like you said, in the end, that was right. But it's interesting how this journey progresses. And suddenly you feel that true realization that maybe this won't happen unless I take different actions now. Right. When you use our code A-A-W, that's a savings of $15. This code is only available to our listeners. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash A-A-W and click get started. Then use the code A-A-W at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only $5. Thank you, Apostrophe, for sponsoring this episode. And now a word for one of our sponsors, Ritual. Did you know that women were excluded from clinical research policy by federal law until 1993? cutting out the cost of the middleman, passing the saving to us, and only working with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. I personally cannot wait to wear my cute tan linen set this summer. So it's your turn to get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash A-A-W for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot slash A-A-W to get free shipping and 365 day returns, quince.com slash A-A-W. Thank you, Quince.
1: And I'm very thankful because I'm aware it could have gone an entirely different direction. I could have gotten, let's say 20 eggs. I think maybe that would be a number that would make me feel safer. And then I could have waited, you know, three, four or five years to fertilize those eggs and ended up with no viable embryos and been heartbroken. So I'm kind of glad in a way that this you know, failure of, of my egg retrieval kind of forced me into moving forward and really making tough decisions about my life. So I ended up breaking up, or I mean, it was a mutual, it just, it happened, right? I don't even know how to say what (laughs) happened, but we, it imploded is the best way to (laughs) describe it. That relationship imploded and within two months, so that was in, um, January of 2019, and within two months, I was doing IUI cycles with donor sperm. And I will That's say- That's fast. That's it a was,
0: very fast transition. It
1: was a very fast transition. And I will say at the time, I think I thought that I was ready-ish, but I also just felt such a scarcity mentality. It didn't really matter if I was ready emotionally. My body, I felt, which is the total lie, but at the time, I believed now or never- you've got to do this, whether you're ready or not, because this is the difference between being a mom or not being a mom. It just felt like my only option.
0: In hindsight, knowing what you know now, would you have done those IUIs? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I, well, because, so I think, so
1: (laughs) I'm pretty sure that even as I was doing the IUIs, I was saying to people, I kind of hope this doesn't work, or I'm, I'm not really sure I want this to work. I just couldn't, the pain of thinking that i was going to sit around doing nothing as my fertility dwindled was too much to not take any action mm-hmm. but i also wasn't ready to have a baby like i wasn't dying to be a mom i knew that i had the the setup in terms of like finances and family support and all of those things were in place. But just in terms of like, what, where do you see yourself in nine months? It really wasn't holding an infant. Like that, that wasn't (laughs) what I wanted. I wanted to keep dating. I wanted to pursue career stuff. I, you know, it just felt like I kind of had to do that. I did a number of IUIs. I did, I did four IUIs with a fertility clinic. I did get pregnant on the fourth one. And to be honest, it was, it was pretty emotionally rough. And the reason it was rough is that in, in the amount of time that I was doing those, it was four cycles back to back. So it was March, April, May, and June of 2019. And I had broken up with the guy, but we were still spending a lot of time together. And we were starting to kind of talk about what would it look like if we maybe decided to have a child together and we co-parented and then kind of let the relationship either happen or not happen, but he kind of wanted kids too, and we were, you know, so we were in these discussions, and I was, I didn't feel safe enough to, to stop doing the IUIs, but I also didn't really want them to work, and I had a doctor that was sort of telling me, because I was refusing to use Clomid or Letozole or any kind of medication, uh, which is a whole other side story of why I, like, didn't want to do that, um, I just didn't think they were going to work, and then, I didn't know how badly I didn't want it to work until it did. And I realized I have just made this choice to have this child on my own. And here's this man who maybe if I had given him a little bit more time or just been less emotional and frantic and terrified about the whole thing, like maybe this, maybe I jumped the gun and maybe this was the wrong call. And um, it was, it was really, really hard. I knew that because of the way that I've worked on, myself and mindset and kind of coaching myself through different situations. Like I knew that I was going to get my head around that pregnancy and be excited. It just, my initial reaction was not what I expected. Cause I think up until that point, I thought a double pink line on a pregnancy test, no matter what would be just like joy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like that. I I couldn't imagine a scenario where that didn't feel fantastic at this point in my life, where I was afraid that maybe I was going to miss that boat. And so it was really a shock to me that, that when I did get pregnant, I was, I didn't feel excited. I was not, I was not excited. I think, and, yeah. Oh, I mean, like you
0: were focusing on short-term goals in a way, right? Like it would mm-hmm. just had become this, I need to get pregnant because maybe I can't instead of the greater context of how does that really fit into your life? Right.
1: And that helped me understand like what I want is to know that I can have children, not what I want as a baby right now. And those are two very different things. <laughs> very different.
0: They're very different. And yes. I see this happen all the time to people is sometimes you get onto a path and it's the path you thought was right for you or somebody told you was right for you or it's what you should do, whatever the scenario is. And you're just doing it. And it's almost like being in a hamster wheel. You're just doing mm-hmm, it because mm-hmm. at some point it becomes the expectation, either what you've put on yourself or somebody else has put on you. And you don't really stop to think about is this what I want? Is does this make sense to me? Mm-hmm. where What is this life going to look like if it leads this way? And yet at the same time, when we talk about fertility, there's a huge amount of guilt because what if you can't what if this is the only time you can ever have a baby? right you know, And there's this right. fear mentality. And sometimes physicians, we really want to make sure patients understand, you know, odds and averages and have perspective to make good decisions. But some people do it in such a fearful way that it really does feel very doomsday. Well, this is never going to happen to you unless you do X or Y or Z. And that's a scary place to receive such personal and such big information and decisions you're making.
1: Yes. I remember very clearly two phrases that were said to me by the the doctor that I was working with at the time. Um, He told me one time, you have way too rosy a view of your fertility Uh, which was very, very painful to hear, but it did, I will say it did change my course of action. I mean, I I was like, well, I have to trust him, like, he's, he's the authority on my fertility, right, so I need to um, do this, even if it's not what feels right or best to me, Um, and then oh gosh, I just forgot the second thing he said to me.
0: Well, good, let <laughs> On. that one be gone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to rehash that one again.
1: <laughs> yeah, but you know, anyway, I, like I was just going through this process, just, oh, I remember the other thing. He he said, um, you just don't seem very desperate to be pregnant. And it was a really interesting comment because I left his office thinking about it and I thought, you know, that's right. But should I be like, is that a problem? Is it a problem that I'm not desperate? Do you have to get to desperation. Right. And and maybe like the numbers that he's seeing reflected that I should be desperate. And maybe I it, just, it was just very confusing. So the piece that was missing in all of that is the piece that fell into place the moment that I walked into your office. So obviously, after everything that I went through there, that I was very clear that that was not a right fit clinic for me. And I left and advocated for myself and found a better fit. And the first time I met you, one of the very first things you asked me was, what do you want? Like, what is your goal? What, what, if you could have anything, what would that be? And it became very clear immediately to me that the course of action I was taking did not match at all with the goals that I had for my life.
0: And Isn't that crazy? That's so eye-opening. It's open, totally right? crazy. Especially yes. if you're a planner, because I, you and I have always related to each other. When you're a planner and somebody asks you that, and I've been asked that myself at big moments when I was leaving said job, somebody's like, what is your goal? Where do you want to be? And does this make any sense for where you want to be?
1: Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's mm-hmm. like,
0: how did I not see that? Right? Mm-hmm. It was right here in front of me. Right.
1: And I, as you said, like, I'm such a goal-oriented person. And I really believe in the power of, like, mindset and choosing and you know all of these things but I think I had just been convinced in this realm that I didn't get to have a choice that I was kind of at the bottom of the barrel and I have had to like get whatever I could get and it was very vulnerable and I cry every time I talk about that first meeting that that you and I had because the here I go here I go (laughs) crying Um, because the idea that I could want not just to have a baby, but that I could have opinions about, for example, when that was gonna happen, how many children I was gonna have, even the paternity, like all of those things just felt like my time of choosing is up and I have to just make this happen whichever, which way I can. And so for someone to really ask me and not just ask the question, but believe that my response was reasonable and possible and that is now exactly the, like the life that I'm living. All of it happened. And all it took was you just helping me see that I that I had a choice. And it's, I mean, it's really one of the most beautiful things anyone's ever done for me. And I think that you were just doing your job that day and probably had no idea that you completely changed my life in that moment.
0: Well, we're both going to sit on a <laughs> Zoom call and cry in just a moment. <laughs> um, you know, that's, That's completely one, you know, why I do this job, but two, why I think it's so important for us to share our stories and talk openly about fertility and what our experiences are like, because for one, if you're just living in a glass bubble this is the experience with this one place or this one clinic or this one way that you're made to feel. And you just think that must be how it is. This is what it is like to go to a fertility clinic. Mm -hmm. This is what it's like to be an infertility patient. You don't get a say on these things. You just do it. And until you see a different perspective or you hear about it, you don't really know that you can make choices and have a say in your care and advocate for yourself. And I think that that's so important for people to know about this field. Because to me, this isn't at all a black and white field. There are so many shades of gray. There's so many decisions you make. And there's really no wrong or right one for an individual person. It's about what is the right one for you at this time? And that may switch at any given time. But it's a really hard place to come at because it's interesting that you weren't desperate. You know, you became desperate though, right? Because you this mentality... And you didn't want to be like, there was no need for you to be desperate. What you had been through, it kind of was told to you that you should be. And then suddenly you took that on, this desperation and this fear. And it's been really beautiful to see you take it and not only be amazingly happily pregnant now and living this life that you wanted to live, but also how you're taking that and empowering so many other women. I mean, that is so inspiring to me because you're not just, living the life, you're actually talking to other women about it Mm -hmm. and helping grow this entire community. And before I hop into that more, I want to go back to your fertility journey, because I think one of the things we talked about at length 200 times, and that must be hard for women, is this juncture of my right now goals and my future goals and eggs and embryos and putting that whole piece together. And I know that wasn't easy for you or for anybody. How did you kind of either what advice do you have for people or kind of how did you end up deciding like what was the right thing for you at any given moment?
1: I think that first consult I had with you was really pivotal. And I think I walked away. I don't know that I walked out of that meeting, but within a matter of hours, days, I don't know. I I really had three clear goals in mind and they were, I want to be a mom. Like, I will do it, whatever it's going to take. So, if you tell me it's you should be desperate right now, that's we'll go from there, you know. So, I want to be a mom. I would like to have more than one child. And I would like to keep the door open, if possible, to have a child with a partner down the road. And that was the piece I was most willing to let go of. I was at a point where I was no longer in this relationship. And I had, I realized that I just logistically at this point, I was 38. I didn't feel like I had time to like get back on the dating apps and start at square one. The pressure I knew I'd been through that experience, like it was just too much. So I knew that my first child at least would be as a single mother by choice. And I had kind of accepted that. I will say there was still a whole process of grieving, but I was ready, I think, to Not necessarily, again, still not ready to be pregnant right that minute, but ready to accept that that made the most sense for my life and that IUI in particular didn't make sense because if I'm worried about my window of fertility closing and it's important to me to have more than one child, if I get pregnant through IUI, great, but what does that mean for baby number two? I'm doing nothing to prepare myself to to meet that goal. So that was a huge, huge eye-opening moment and something that had never been brought to my attention and nothing that I'd ever discussed with anyone in the past. I had never been, I'd never thought about long-term family planning goals. It just always felt like an emergency that I needed to get pregnant.
0: I love that you mentioned the grief aspect, because I think that it is something sometimes that hits people suddenly too, you know, okay, I'm going to do this. I want to be a mom. I'm not going to wait around for some guy. I don't want to put pressure on that relationship this is the right thing for me. You come to the clinic, you're ready to move forward. Then it's like, you're letting go of this vision of what your family would look like, Mm -hmm. right? And that is fine and it will be beautiful in the end, but it is really hard in the moment and we give ourselves a lot of grief over it because then it's like, I am working hard to achieve this goal. I'm doing all these things, I'm spending money, I'm going to the clinic, yet part of me is sad. And I always wanna tell everybody, that's a very normal response. You have to let go of Mm -hmm. that version that you thought where you thought you'd be at 38 and that's okay. Totally. Okay. Mm -hmm. Life had a different pathway for you. We're going to make this path like beautiful, full of flowers, but it's different. And it is hard to grieve that yet be excited about where you are and where you're going at the same time. That contrast and emotion is really hard for people and not really talked about. And I'll say there are two big things
1: that really helped me through that. One was just having the self-compassion to recognize that it was okay to be sad. And that didn't mean that I couldn't also be excited. Like just kind of learning how to hold both of those things at the same time. And also really questioning why I was feeling sad. And when I really got into what felt icky about pursuing that path, it all, almost all of it had to do with what other people would think. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, other people don't give a shit. Like they really do. I'm sorry. Can I cast on your yes, podcast? You can cast on the <laughs> okay. podcast? Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, they really don't. I mean, it's, it was all about like, what is the world going to think of me? You know, what does this mean? It, like, did I fail somehow at this? Just, it just seemed like this is what people do, right? It's love, marriage, baby cares. Like, that's what we're, we grow up with this minimum expectation of what your life is going to be that's not even the big like the big goals are like the career and the you know all the other things this is the one that's just supposed to happen and when it didn't just happen it felt like there was something fundamentally wrong with me and i think i had enough self love and and self awareness to to know that like i i didn't feel fundamentally flawed i felt like i looked fundamentally flawed to the world <laughs> so getting to a point where i could really have compassion for myself about how hard that was to be in that place and start to just really realize that the sadness, most of it didn't have to do with my actual lived experience. Like, yes, I do. There are things that I would really love about having a partner. There are also things I really love about being single that I would lose if I had a partner. Like, I think there's good on both, on both sides. So that was a piece of it. The other piece of it was that it became impossible to hold, like, to continue to think of myself as the gigantic loser who failed at life, When I started to meet other women who are making the same choice and realize, okay, if I'm a huge loser, I'm the only one, like these women are all amazing. And
0: (laughs) so once you're,
1: right. So once you're surrounded by that demographic, it just becomes kind of silly to assume that because of this one thing, because you're not partnered that there's something wrong with you. Cause I can name, you know, 20 women right now easily who are not partnered, who are amazing and who I totally respect and admire. And so that just kind of freed me from that baggage of believing a lie about myself.
0: I love that because all of the people I know who are single moms by choice, who are saying, I'm not waiting around. This is a life goal for me. And I want to see it achieved and not just let time pass are freaking amazing, like phenomenal, well-educated, well-spoken, really have thought this through. They care about others. They're compassionate. They're just amazing human beings. Mm-hmm. And the strength that it takes, I barely survived having a pregnancy and a child with a partner in hand <laughs> who, I could, who helped with things, you know? Right. And just like when you say, I'm going to take this on, yes, you've got good family support and friend support and that stuff is very crucial. Just that fact that you're like, I'm not going to let the societal expectations staying in the way or I'm going to believe in myself for this. That's really really powerful. I want to know where where do you find the women? Where do you find the community? So if somebody's listening to this and they feel like they're ready to explore this option or to start talking about their own fertility and they're not partnered, mm-hmm. how do you connect with people? What do you tell others? My
1: personal experience was that I first joined some groups on Facebook, which was great. They're huge. I mean, there are groups of 7,000 women in a single mother by choice group and it's, you know, international. So that was really neat just to realize this is not a small demographic um, that there are plenty of other women making this choice out there. So that was kind of where I started. I wasn't forming relationships there. We all kind of know how Facebook groups go. You know, it's like, there's a lot of information and a lot of kind of confirmation that this is a thing that isn't insane to consider. Um, But that didn't really create community. Um, The community happened for me mostly on Instagram. And it's kind of funny because I started my single mother by choice Instagram account thinking this is this like super outside of the box thing that I'm going to like put out there and like nobody's doing it. And you know, (laughs) this is like this groundbreaking thing and very quickly accumulated, I don't know, a thousand follower accounts of like people that you know they follow me I follow them who are all single mothers by choice I'm like okay I'm not the first one but well, that's good yeah it's it's amazing so um there's a big community on Instagram you can just follow the you know single mother by choice hashtag or solo mom or you know there's all sorts of different things that you can follow to to find those connections and then I really made it a point to create community for myself and so I did that and again I thought that I was doing something for other people, just like when I was going to start my Instagram to kind of like bring awareness. And instead I ended up being the one that was totally fed by all of these connections. I decided to start a podcast that was going to be like sharing information with people. But really what happened was every single person that I interviewed then became a friend and a connection and someone that I've kept in touch with and part of my community. And then what started to happen was I would meet this great, Single mother by choice in Chicago, and then I meet another in Chicago, and I was like, "Oh, you two re- need to connect." And so I started almost being like a like you're a matchmaker. Yeah, like
0: you're the matchmaker <laughs> for
1: like friends. That's amazing. Yes, yes. So, um, so I would say mostly Instagram is where I've met people, but those people are now like people I text daily, people I FaceTime with, people who, when we're allowed to travel again, I will go and see, and my baby will have, you know, a whole friend group of other single mother by choice babies, like around the country. And it's just, it's been incredible. It's, it's definitely an effort. Like it's something that I've chosen. It's not going to just happen to you. You have to kind of seek it out, but it's, it's there for sure.
0: I always say I get so much more out of my Instagram than I put into it. And so much Mm -hmm. more that I didn't think possible. The connections, the community, the real life friends who have changed my life, just like you're describing. And I've really seen a shift in the fertility community on social media. I started now five years ago on Instagram. And what I've seen is these anonymous accounts, which are fine. If that's what makes you feel comfortable, that's fine, right? But like trying to conceive baby C, you know, not my real name, not real pictures of me, but just Uh a place to share into, hey, Katie's journey, right? And it's like you and your real journey and your pictures and your whole... Thing out there and your bio being like IUI times four miscarriage times one IVF times two FET yes. times one and everybody like laying it out there breaking that stigma hey there's nothing to hide this is me this is what I've been through this is uh-huh. what my story looks like and that's allowed such a strong connection amongst people that it really is extremely powerful I always encourage everybody. I'm like, go on Instagram, start searching some of these hashtags and start looking at what other people are putting out there. And suddenly you will feel not alone because Mm -hmm. you're not alone. It just, Mm -hmm. I know you're not alone because I've seen tons of you, but you're the only person, you know, in your shoes going through this right now. You feel very isolated, like a black sheep amongst all your friends who are married and already having babies or achieving all these things. And you're going to have to expand your flock, right? You're going to have to find people who are in a similar position because you need that support. It's going to make the entire journey better.
1: It makes such a difference. There's a a concept that I I talk with my coaching clients about. um, I call it the locksmith effect. And so the idea is basically that like in your lifetime, you've probably called a locksmith Uh, you know, one, two, maybe three times, right? It's not a thing that happens all that often that you lock yourself out of your house or your car or whatever. The locksmith spends all day every day helping people who've locked themselves out of various places. So in his mind, it happens all the time. People are kind of idiots. Like it's just, this is the way the world works. People lock themselves out, right? So we, our worldview is what we surround ourselves with. And if you only have friends who are coupled and friends who are have like a more traditional family structure and that's what you see, then like, you don't understand that there's this whole world out there. So basically, I guess the, the analogy would be that I become like the locksmith for single mothers by choice. Where like, if I surround myself with people who are also single mothers by choice, then I'm like, oh, this is like people do this all the time. And so my view of how many women are doing this is probably kind of disproportionate. Like it, to me, it feels like. I don't know, could it be 50-50? Are half of women having kids on their own? Because I have so many friends in such a network and I have to remind myself, oh yeah, this isn't the normal way.
0: I, was just, I love it because I have patients who will, they want to do something single and they're single, they want to pursue it. And they're almost scared to admit it even when we're talking. And I'm like, they're like, well, I want to be a single mom and I know I'm not partnered. And is that, you know, going to be a problem? Uh-huh, I'm like, oh, no, uh-huh. I love this. This is great. But you can just see it's that, Are are you okay with how I'm doing this? Am I the only one? Are others doing this too?
1: And you really can create this this environment for yourself where you sort of forget that that's the way that anybody would think about your situation. I had the other day, someone here repairing my garage door and, you know, so I'm clearly visibly pregnant at this point. And he said something about my husband or partner or something. I said, oh, no, I'm, it's just me. I'm doing this on my own. And immediately the response was, oh, I'm so sorry. And I just smiled and I was like, no, actually, I I chose to do it on my own. I'm really excited. There's some real pros to, you know, doing this on my own. And it just, and you could see the the load off of him. He was like, oh, okay, you're okay. I'm glad that you're okay. He didn't care how I was doing it, but it's just the, I forget that the perception is that people might feel like maybe I'm sad about doing it this way, which I'm totally not anymore. Uh, But part of that is just having so many examples of this being a viable, you know, a choice that makes sense, that is beautiful and, you know, works out just fine. So
0: So you are pregnant now. Your pregnancy, for the most part, we already talked about has been going great, which is wonderful. How was the embryo transfer process for you?
1: I had the seven frozen eggs. Mm -hmm. I met with you and we both kind of discussed that, you know, the seven eggs may be enough, may not be enough. We don't really know what seven eggs means until we Um, until we fertilize them. But with the goal in mind that I want to have more than one child, seven eggs most likely wasn't going to result in more than one healthy embryo. If I got one great embryo out of it, perfect. But, you know, so ended up doing a second retrieval and we put all of those eggs. um, I always joke that, you know, literally put all my, all all my eggs in one basket, but brought over the seven frozen eggs from my previous clinic. You and I did another cycle, retrieved another seven eggs. Um, I think only five of the previous set So we had 12 altogether, put those together, fertilized them and ended up with far more embryos than I had ever imagined was possible. I mean, I thought three was like shooting it out of the park if I had gotten three and ended up with five. So five PGS normal embryos just, I mean, felt amazing.
0: And some of them, yeah, some of them from that first round of seven yes. worthless eggs. I yes, think it's really important to say, right? Really important like they to were say, yes. worthless, but really they were not worthless at all. They were right. great quality, good eggs. Yeah.
1: So out of the five that thawed, two, two healthy embryos came from those. And then out of the seven new, you know, with eggs that were a year older, there were an additional three that came. So I had five embryos total. And at that point, it felt so good because I knew I could move forward with the transfer if I wanted to, Mm -hmm. but I didn't have to, like I could have, I could, I could take some time for myself. I could breathe. The pressure was off. Those, those embryos were going to stay frozen for however long I wanted or needed them to. And so I was really excited about doing a transfer because it just felt very different. I wasn't coming from that scarcity place anymore of fear and I had done a lot of work on myself in the meantime. I had done a lot of coaching and counseling and, you know, was was really kind of working on the mindset piece to be more comfortable with the choice of being a single mother by choice. And if you think back to those three goals of I want to be a mom, I want to be able to have more than one child, and I want to try to maintain the option of having a child with a partner down the road, two of the three were were accomplished out with that those embryos that we created. And so two out of three was feeling pretty damn good at that point. And I was really excited, ordered the transfer meds, was like on board to do a transfer in February of 2020. Little did we know what was about to happen in the world. <laughs> um, I love COVID. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, so, so that felt really good. And there was still a part of me that was grieving knowing that most likely I was closing the door to having a child with a partner. If I met a partner, you know, down the road, cause I knew if I do this transfer, I'm going to be pregnant for nine months and then I'm going to be postpartum and I'm not like dating. It'll be a while, probably before dating's back on my radar. And now I have this information that I have really good quality eggs but I don't get a ton of them when I do a retrieval. So the idea that I could wait, at this point I was 38, you know the idea that I could wait till I was 42 or so and do another retrieval, I knew I may not get any eggs. I may not get enough to, to have these types of results again. So there was a letting go there. And one of the things that helped a lot with that was talking with a reproductive psychologist who started talking with me about um, egg donation. And I had considered that there could be a path for me where like, if none of those seven eggs were viable, like, right. I knew that that was the direction that I'd be willing to go if it came to that, but it had never occurred to me that I could use donor eggs with a partner's sperm and create a family makeup where like my first child was like my egg donor sperm. And my second child would be donor egg partner sperm. And that just felt like Wow, what a cool way to make a modern family. And just something that it just opened up that door for me where I could kind of let go of that grief of maybe I will never experience having a child with a partner.
0: I love that after we got your genetic results, I still remember the day I got them because I think I texted you before Mm -hmm. or I emailed you like Mm -hmm. before the lab did because I was so excited. Um that you essentially like morphed into a different person immediately it's like i could Absolutely. see the weight come off of you mm-hmm. just feeling like oh my gosh we i've achieved you know this whole this whole hurdle And this is a big difference that I tell people between egg and embryo for eggs. We just don't know. We talk about averages. We make presumptions based on them. Sometimes we're wrong in a good way and we do better. And sometimes we're wrong Mm -hmm. in a bad way and you do worse. And if you do worse and you waited five years, that's heartbreaking because it could be too late to make a difference. And when you get those embryo results, it is suddenly very freeing because you're right. You're like, I can go live my life. I could go travel the world. I can wait Mm -hmm. a year motherhood is not going to slip away from me just because I pursue these other things at this time. And that's a huge weight off of somebody from that fear, scarcity mentality that it may never happen.
1: Absolutely. And there was a part of me that thought, gosh, did we did we really need to fertilize both cohorts of eggs? Like maybe it would have been smart to leave the first batch frozen and just fertilize the fresh eggs. But you and I had made that decision together and it made total sense to based on everything we knew about my age and and you know everything to go ahead and fertilize all of those so there really weren't regrets there i think more what i was feeling was like damn my eggs are worth a lot like i like i i had i went from thinking i know i went from thinking my eggs were like kind of like trashed to like i kind of wish i had more of these things laying around because now i know that even a small number of eggs frozen is valuable to me based on this experience. And I couldn't have known that until we fertilized all the eggs. So at that point, financially, it just was not feasible. And also it just, I didn't need, I didn't need more frozen eggs. I wanted them, but I didn't need it. I knew I was okay. I had done the work, you know, to kind of process the grief of letting go of this thing that I kind of had always assumed would happen of having a child with a partner. And I was aware, you know, it is possible I could meet someone and just naturally.
0: Yeah, we don't, your natural fertility is untested.
1: Like, do you know people have babies for free sometimes? Like it's crazy. <laughs> crazy <that> happens. I- <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> um, so, you know, there, it, that was kind of a, a process. And then I had someone in my life step in and offer just the most generous gift, which was to pay for another round of egg freezing prior to a transfer. And that was really hard to accept because it was a huge gift that I did not feel deserving of. And I think as women, we, we just are not always good at accepting those kinds of things. So that was, you know, it was a a bit of a hurdle, but, um, but pretty quickly I realized, yes, that is the universe just, giving me more than I could ever imagine. I remember you were
0: like, should I say yes? I was like, yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think I texted you around like 6am or so, because I was literally supposed to start the transfer meds that day.
0: You were like, should I say yes to this? I'm not sure. I was like hundred percent. You should say yes to this.
1: <laughs> yes. And you're like the patron saint of like, Taking like doing what is best for you and like like taking charge of your life. And so you were the best possible person to text at 6 a.m. i'd be like, <laughs> I don't know, this huge gift just landed in my lap. Should I accept it or no? Like, what do you think? <laughs> Take the gift, run, let's use it. Yes, yes. Um, yes. So I pivoted and you pivoted with me, which was so generous. Cause I all I assumed I would just lose a cycle there. Uh, because literally, I was supposed to start transfer meds that day. I already had them in my possession. They were in my fridge. And instead, I did a drive downtown to pick up different meds for an egg retrieval cycle. Instead, like within a day, we we switched over to now we're doing an egg retrieval cycle. And I was able to do that retrieval cycle right before COVID hit. It was in February of 2020. Um, and miraculously, got 12 eggs that time. Yay! Yay. So that's a good thing for people to know that it's, you know, even if you've had one or two rounds where you didn't get a number that you were super excited about, like things can change. I don't think we changed the protocol. Like I think it was pretty similar. Yeah.
0: It's, sometimes it's you're less stressed. I think that's a huge one because uh-huh. you've gone through the process, you know what to expect. In your uh-huh. case, the pressure was off. One eight. These, yeah, these were bonus. Yeah. These were bonuses. Like I didn't there totally was no pressure on them becoming anything. And I think that that mindset sometimes is very, very beneficial. But also we make fine little tweaks. We learn about you and can do better. But Mm -hmm. I was so thrilled with that before you, because I feel like you've really came in with three goals. And here we are at this point. having three,
1: check, check, check.
0: Exactly. Having lots of doors open, getting you further down the pathway. And in such a different position than when you had walked in the door, like a year prior to that, or whenever you walked in.
1: So we got through that retrieval and early, it was the first week of February. So exactly a year ago, um, got through that retrieval. And then I thought I, I get to take a break. For a little bit before i do a transfer and that felt really good and i remember checking the expiration date on the um, transfer meds that i already <laughs> had in my fridge like this is my window i can take up until these meds are going to expire to to just live my life and know that i've got all all contingency plans you know planned for i can be a single mother by choice i could go back to dating and meet someone and i've got frozen eggs that i can use with them i can date someone for a year and if it doesn't work out i can go back to my embryos like it just felt like the world was my oyster, and I could totally explore what I truly, truly wanted for the first time since all of this started. Um, so, you know, inter global pandemic. <laughs>
0: <laughs> then there's no fun to be had right? in your quarantine. Right. So, I'm like, okay, well,
1: dating's probably not a thing that's really reasonably going to happen right now. I did do a little bit of early COVID dating. And to be honest, I met two really amazing people. And it was really helpful to have the opportunity to pursue relationships with people that honestly, if I'd met them at a different point in my life, I would have been like telling all my girlfriends, like, I think this is it. You know, like these were amazing, amazing men. And I just kept thinking about my employers and I realized I didn't want to wait. Like, even if it was going to work out with this person, I just didn't want to give it that time. Like it felt like a drag to put in, the amount of time I knew it would take to develop the relationship. I just felt that, that scale switch, right. It just tipped in a different direction. And I was so, I just felt such warmth towards these little clusters of cells that I wanted that more. And I got to choose. And it like, here with the tears again, like I just, I never, ever thought that I would get to choose. Like it just, it felt like a miracle, like working backwards in time that like, I went back to a place where like man or baby became a question again. And I got to make the choice that like, no, I think I really am ready for a baby. And I waited, I did give myself some time. So that is the season where I started my podcast. I got coach training. I started coaching women in the single mother, by choice realm and gave myself time until I really felt truly truly ready and excited and part of it also was kind of looking logistically at like my work calendar and like right. when would it when do I want my due date to be but i had this sense of certainty based on nothing other than just my own intuition that the first transfer was going to work and so i just knew i need to be ready like i you can be ready this time right cuz this time we're having a baby and we're ready like this is this is going to happen it's going to be great so waited until july 2020 Um, did my transfer. There was a tiny bit of me, very vain little bit of me that really wanted to get pregnant while I was still 38. So I did my transfer five days before my birthday. And on my 39th birthday, I saw like the faintest, faintest positive line Aww, on the pregnancy yay. test. Yeah. I didn't tell anybody because I was like, I don't even know if this is real. It took another couple of days for me to really like know that I was pregnant. Um, but I did get pregnant while I was 38. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you did it girl. Uh, yes. what a yes. feeling that time, right. To see those lines in such a different mindset. Oh and my phase. goodness.
1: So excited. And the difference between IUI, which really kind of felt like a slot machine, like it's just, it, feel, it feels now thinking back, it's like such the wild west that we're just throwing sperm in there and we don't know what egg we're connecting with. And so to have a PGS tested embryo where I knew where like, not only is there an embryo nestling into to the uterus in there, like it's also a healthy one. And that made a huge difference allowing me to connect with the baby early on.
0: It's crazy because sometimes patients will say, well, you like IVF more. And I'm like, of course I like IVF. Of course I do. I'm a control freak. Like I can control so many more things. Like your chance of success is higher. Your chance of failure is lower. We know what embryos are good. Mm -hmm. Of course. Like it's the straightest line path. Of course. Anyways, it's always a funny statement. Like you like it more. It's like, yeah, I like 70% more than 10%. Don't you? Like, I don't understand what we're debating right here.
1: Well, and I've thought about this. I've like put myself forward in the future. Let's say, you know, I'm 42, 43, and I want to have a second child with a partner. I'm like, would I even risk just intercourse and see what happens? Or would I like go in and use my frozen eggs? Because then we could test them and I wouldn't have to go through, well, I mean, it can still happen, but the likelihood of going through a loss or having to make a really difficult choice about an unhealthy embryo, like all of that. I'm like, now that I've done IVF, it, it terrifies me that people just kind of get pregnant. Get it's
0: it, get yeah. crazy. I am so proud of you. I'm just so happy for you. I've loved watching you change over the course of this journey. And I always say that's my favorite part. So my favorite part is not when somebody brings a baby back and says you created this baby. That's extremely impactful, but it's watching that new mom, that person on the other side of the journey who now has this weight lifted, has transformed into this person who I always say they were meant to be. It was just, Mm -hmm. you were in such a high stress situation. It was hard to be that person. Mm -hmm. So I love being able to watch you along the way. And I would love it if you would share where everybody can find you. If they want to listen to the podcast or follow you on social, how does everybody get in touch with you?
1: Sure. My Instagram account is, uh, so it's single greatest choice. And it's single underscore greatest underscore choice on Instagram. And then my website is also www.singlegreatestchoice.com. And the podcast is also called The Single Greatest Choice. I think you have to put in the the to, to find it on iTunes, but The Single Greatest Choice. And on The Single Greatest Choice podcast, you'll find mostly stories of other women who have pursued motherhood in non-traditional ways. Not necessarily all single mothers by choice, but uh, we've got some like co-parent, platonic co-parenting and exploring other routes like foster to adopt and things like that, as well as uh, people like you who've come on as experts in the field and uh, working on getting some other like, you know, psychology and and different areas of interest that are connected as well.
0: Well, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on here and sharing your story. And I just can't wait to keep watching. I can't wait to get that baby announcement.
1: I know. I know we're so close. all right I know (laughs) I
0: can't even believe it blows my mind but thank you so much Katie
1: you're so welcome thank you for having me
0: Right,
1: and I-